Oh, hello and welcome to the Sustainable Leading Edge. I'm Kate Cacciatore, Head of Sustainability at Figbytes, the sustainability data management platform that connects data and purpose. Before I introduce you to my guest today, I'll share a bit of context about the purpose and spirit of this podcast series and some of the questions and themes it sets out to explore. As we find ourselves facing major global challenges, such as the effects of climate change, water shortages, biodiversity loss, and the breakdown of natural ecosystems, in addition to social inequalities, conflict, and threats to food security, there is growing awareness today across all stakeholder groups that business with its global clout has to do more than incrementally improve its sustainability performance. The systemic changes that are needed to help us shift to a net positive, regenerative, inclusive economy and society are massive. They will require unprecedented collaborative efforts of the private and public sectors, of civil society and citizens to find new business and consumption models, innovative products and services, groundbreaking policies, financing mechanisms and partnerships. This podcast invites business, sustainability, civil society and public sector leaders to share their experience on the leading edge of the sustainability transition. What motivates them? What is their vision and what have they managed to achieve so far? What have they learned about what works and what's holding us back? How do they say, stay strong and resilient when faced with adversity? What assumptions and beliefs do they think we need to adjust individually and collectively to bring about the changes we need and want to see in the world? These are a few of the questions that we'll be getting at in this podcast. And with that, it's my great pleasure to introduce my first guest on this podcast series, Volkhart Engelsmann, CEO of Aosta, which is an international distributor of fresh, organic and fair fruits and vegetables. Here's an interesting fact about Aosta that will give you a flavour of the discussion we'll be having today. Not only is the company a pioneer in the sustainability space, seeking to have a positive impact through its business and to act as a catalyst to transform the agribusiness and food sector as a whole, but it combines this profile with being a small and medium-sized enterprise. So Volkart, welcome and thank you for being my guest and for being willing to take the plunge and go with the flow with me on this first podcast episode. Um, welcome. Wonderful to be with you, dear Kate, and thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So let's jump in, shall we, with a few questions for you about your personal journey and what you're doing in Aosta today. Maybe we could start with you just telling us a bit more about Aosta and your role in the company. And obviously we'll want to be hearing a bit more about what motivates you and the sense of purpose that you bring to your work. That's a big question, but thank you very much for asking, Kate. Um, Aosta, please don't have too high expectations. We're just a straightforward fruit uh, club in Waddingsveen West, in the west of Holland. Um, we have very good friends in the southern hemisphere in the tropics who grow organic fruits for us. And we have very good friends on the sales side throughout Europe in uh, retail, who we sell these wonderful organically certified and often fair trade certified fruits to. So that's in short, Eosta. And we believe that sustainability uh, begins with transparency, which is why we introduced the Nature and More Trace and Tell system. Um, what we do, Kate, is we um, put a little sticker on each product with a QR code and the face of the grower, so the consumers can see where the uh, product comes from and what the impact is on people and planet. And um, and hence make an informed purchase decision because I think citizens are very concerned about their health and the health of the planet. At the same time as consumers, they are kept in the dark. And uh, uh, there seems to be a, a sort of an abyss between the two, whereas we're talking about the same person. So I think you can cast a vote as a consumer by uh, buying the right products. Um, and I think that's important to uh, trigger the change that's so desperately needed. Uh, we can't, we simply can't afford to talk about people and planet um, and have big conferences about it, but don't change our own lifestyle and our behavior. So we are trying to 
uh, encourage growers to go organic, we are trying to encourage consumers to buy organic. Right, and I, I remember seeing on your website and being particularly struck by some of the stories um, that you bring about the growers. So as you said, you have the QR code that you can kind of um, scan and see who's growing your fruit and vegetables and what that's like. And you try and really tell the story to the consumer about what the realities are and, and what the impact of that um, you know, element of fruit and vegetables um, is is contributing. And I, I think that storytelling approach is particularly powerful, as you say, and perhaps brings in this dimension of wanting to make an emotional connection with the consumers and with others who are involved in <clears throat> making the whole system more um, positively impactful, if I can say it that way. Well, well summarized, Kate, absolutely. <clears throat> and often we we talk about the triple bottom line and then we say people planet profit and if you say that quickly then everybody believes it but in a in a way there is a big challenge behind these three p's uh i mean the problems with people on planet are obvious but we seem to overlook the the fact that this p for profit uh, depends on your sense of purpose mm -hmm. so because is it purposeful, meaningful to make a profit at the expense of people and planet? Or do we say, no, 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 that's morally not correct? Mm -hmm. Well, of course we say, no, 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 a profit is okay, but uh, we can't afford the people and planet to, lead, to, to lose. But, you know, we also need to make a profit. So there's a contradiction there. Mm -hmm. so I think... Uh, that's why we actually prefer to talk about this human dimension as well uh, with our, within the company, but also with our stakeholders. That we say, okay, if we want to leave a meaningful footprint on the planet, we must address the social, the people-related issue of a fair distribution of wealth and equality and equal opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. But that all starts with a P of purpose. Right. So it's driven um, by purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit, Volkart, about your journey. Um, so Aosta was not created yesterday, right? It goes back to um, the 1990s. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this space. Um, was it something that you always dreamed of doing or did it happen by accident? What, what has been your path, whether a straight one or a winding one, on this sustainability journey? It's all, always a winding one, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, I studied economics and business administration uh, and uh, then joined Cargill, a big uh, commodity trading company in the US. And uh, they sent me abroad for what they call a management traineeship. So that started with uh, survival camps in Canada, et cetera. So I loved that idea. I had no idea what they were doing, but I thought, okay, it's a good, good start. And gradually I found out that uh, if you commodify literally products and people have no idea where the product comes from, then people don't care what the impact on people on planet is. So after six years, I thought, okay, uh, together with friends and also suppliers who, who, who uh, supplied uh, Cargill, uh, maybe we should investigate the organic option because uh, many growers at that point in time said, uh, I would love to go organic and individualize supply chains rather than commodify and anonymize supply chains, but there seems to be no market. So then I thought, okay, well, um, I think there must be a market. And if there's no market, then we'll create one. And that was uh, when we started Aosta. Um, what a journey. And, yeah. and how did it how did it um, evolve? Was it something that was easy to get started? Did you start on a micro scale and then build up? Um, has it been something that's um, taken time to get to a certain degree of scale and um, possibility to have a bit of impact along the way? Yeah, you know, we have always been more doers than thinkers, <clears throat> so we became pretty professional improvisers 
building mm-hmm. bridges while crossing them sort of idea. Oh, I like that analogy. Yeah. And um, that means that you need to strongly believe in this concept where there is a will, there is a detour. <laughs> this is never a straight line. Right. And um, so, yes, we started, of course, you start on your own. And uh, and then we quickly gained momentum and grew. And then we started a banana farm in Costa Rica that failed. But in the meantime, we had also started an organic seed company that was very uh, popular at the moment. So we were uh, able to offset the loss of the bankruptcy in the Costa Rica farm with the benefits from that seed company. And then we went into flowers and juices and, and deep frozen stuff and textiles. And then when a good friend of mine said, listen, um, Engelsman, do you think that's professional what you're doing? And I said, yeah, listen, it's simple, my friend. Um, I studied economics. It's called diversification. It's spreading your risks. And then he said, well, I haven't studied, but uh, to me, that sounds like uh, being a jack of all trades and a master in none what you're doing. (laughs) And I hated to admit, but he was obviously right. So gradually you get some more focus into what you're doing. And rather than being very entrepreneurial and doing and helping and uh, no matter what consequence, uh, we, thanks to many people who then joined me in the leadership team as well, uh, we became more professional. And today we are Europe's market leader, mostly in fruits, southern hemisphere and tropical fruits, organic, all organic, with a few hundred million turnover and a few hundred people on board. Wow. Okay. What a story. And and so you talked there about um, a farm that you had, had you started that farm yourselves? Because today your growers are, I guess, um, suppliers to you of fruit and vegetables. You don't necessarily own the farms. Is that right? Yeah, we we have hybrid systems, so models. So some we we rarely own a farm completely. We usually own farms together with the producer in joint ventures, or they are uh, suppliers, just straightforward suppliers, um, or we invest in their pack house or in processing facilities together with them. So you see the whole range of options there of uh, backward in- integration. Right. And I think that the spirit of partnership and collaboration is a very important dimension of the work that you do with the growers, right, to sort of help them um, put in place um, organic methods if they don't already have those. And you have actually achieved that across the board. Um, And uh, I'm guessing also that that partnership and collaboration will be all the more important for taking that further towards um, the, the process of becoming regenerative. Perhaps you could talk a little bit more about um, this aspiration for regenerative agriculture and how it fits into the picture here. Yeah, thank you for asking Uh, a little detour. Talking about diversity is vitality, um, which applies to farming, uh, which applies to the social sphere. Um, But before we go there, um, you're so right. Kate, collaboration and cooperation is very important. Uh, We call it dream, dance, deliver. So if you want to deliver something, and that can be impact or a a company or uh, a profit in whatever sense, um, if you want to deliver change, you have to dance. You have to find coalitions of the willing Mm -hmm. uh, that are defined by something that is bigger than the sum of the parts and which is precisely why we don't believe in this sort of um, egocentric approach within supply chains whereby everybody seeks to achieve uh, maximized profit and uh, then the invisible hand will uh, sort out the rest we believe in the opposite we believe in investing to the maximum into the other And uh, even if that uh, is not in your own advantage, because our experience shows that if you do that, you can achieve something that is much more interesting than what you would have achieved on your own. And that's what we call dance. But that all starts with a shared dream. And uh, if you share um, 
an objective, a vision, a dream, um, then uh, that can carry you through obstacles. Um, and if you run into trouble with each other, uh, but you remember what you were doing it for, then it's easier. Yeah, so that's so that that is that, that three, we call it 3D leadership, dream, dance, deliver. And uh, in fact, we apply that to our own company here internally as well. Um, so we have frequent evaluations with people where we look at the KPIs, you know, what must be delivered. But then we look at one sort of intimacy level higher or deeper and look at the cooperation and the collaboration and the team and where are the obstacles in that team and what can we do about it. And we spend time on that dream element. Uh, we call it becoming who you are. Mm. How can you become who you are? Um, which is a sort of what does your journey look like question. Right. You need to frequently ask each other. And that helps gradually revealing, uh, unleashing that dream that doesn't come overnight. Right. So, so back, um... back, yeah. No, I was just going to say it's 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 sort of uh, taking care to uh, mix and bring together both the sort of collective vision of what you're trying to create together, this dance aspect, and then connect that also with the individual purpose and what each person is bringing to the table, bringing to the dance. Um, exactly. And it's sort of a play between these two to keep you focused on where you're heading. Right. Right. Mm. And it, it, it sort of matches with people, planet, uh, or planet, people, purpose, in mm. a way. If you want to deliver a meaningful footprint on the planet, it ma makes sense to investigate the dance that is necessary to deliver that. A dance in a social sense, in a collaborative sense, within a society. Um, uh, you know, how do you want to, what would a so society architecture look like that delivers a meaningful footprint? So that is uh, related to people, but it all starts with that shared dream, with that question, who are you really? Mm -hmm. And that, and, and what motivates you, what drives you, and that is purpose. So people, planet, purpose matches this dream, dance, deliver threefoldness. And um, it, it has helped us navigate uh, leadership challenges. Wow. But now we're drifting away from your question about regenerative farming, I think, a little bit. Well, we can come back to that. Perhaps let's come okay. back to that when we talk about the sector, because I think you have brought us into the territory that we did want to discuss first, which was um, the, the, the company and so Aosta's sustainability strategy. I think you call it your impact strategy, actually. And um, we, we're beginning to get into that in the discussion now, but it will be interesting to know um, you started out with a clear purpose and a sense of what you were trying to achieve and that vision and then the dance. Did the sustainability strategy, well, I should perhaps correct myself because I'm guessing that in your case, it was embedded, wasn't it, from the start in your whole project to create a business. So perhaps you can take us through the process or the journey of Aosta of figuring out, okay, how does sustainability or positive impact um, have to come together into the business strategy what, what were the steps that you that you took to discover that and develop that it's a process of differentiation i think you gradually you start with something um, intuitively that you want to do meaningful things and um, look after your soil or biodiversity or intercropping or cover crops or address the wealth gap but it is not really differentiated in, in KPIs, et cetera. And then gradually you develop a framework, a template, which we call the Nature and More Sustainability Flower, which I'll show you here. Oh, lovely. Yes. Uh, difficult I to read, it. but you can check this on the website, whereby you find the same threefold differentiation. So you, in, you find petals that are related to planet, to the planet. So we look at soil fertility, water, biodiversity, and uh, climate change. The, these are the four petals that are related to the planet. And under these, we have obviously KPIs to measure that. And then we have petals that are related to people, um, whereby we 
nicked the the slogan of the French Revolution, <laughs> and, like and you know, as a sort of template to talk about freedom and to talk about equality and to talk about fraternity or brother brotherhood mm-hmm. or a fair distribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. So under the first petal, we look at the vocational training opportunities and uh, unleashing the unique potential of people uh, or cultural elements on a farm or throughout the supply chain. And then under equality, we look at uh, fair working conditions and uh, no discrimination and equal opportunities. And under um, solidarity or fraternity, we look at a fair distribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. So that is these are the petals, three petals. So four petals related to the planet, three petals re- related to people. But it all starts with the purpose uh, of that unique grower story. Mm. So that's why we, you know, like you wonderfully summarized, why we always, that's why we always start with that, uh, with a unique story of a grower. Always put the, put the uh, sort of human uh, dimension first. And uh, after all, people and planet is not something anonymous over there. It starts with an individual uh, who, who, ha- who he, who's on a journey and who's got questions that he would like to share with others and, and, and in the meantime, evolve and develop. And um, so that's why we always start with the grower story. Mm-hmm. So these three P's are embedded in our nature more sustainability flower. And um, <clears throat> we apply five M's. Um, would you, is this the right moment to talk about yes, those? Yes, absolutely. I was yeah. going to ask you about those. And I just, before we go into that, I just like to, um, underline, I think what's, what comes out for me is something very um, striking about your strategy and your approach, which is uh, the emphasis on intention. And I, I mean, purpose covers that to some extent, because you're saying we, we always have to come back to what our purpose is and be thinking about that purpose in all of the decisions that we take and everything that we're setting out to do. Um, but But it does seem that there is a clear intention there to um, bring about certain positive impacts which are embedded in the sustainability flower and the indicators that are behind it. So I just thought that might be worth pointing out. No, thank you very much for adding that. And uh, it's it's like a scope. On the one side, if you only focus on intentions, then it can be sort of stay thin air. Yeah. That's the risk there. On the other side of the scope, if you only focus on KPIs and, um, you know, uh, figures and uh, quantifiable results, then you kill the intention. It becomes compliance. Yeah. So you need the best of two worlds. You obviously want to communicate in a way that allows communication and hard deliverables and KPIs. On the sa- at the same time, you want to acknowledge the idea that sustainability is nothing finite. It's a journey that starts with the in- uh, intention, not just of stakeholders, but also of the individual. If you can't connect to the uh, unique powers and unleash those unique powers of the individual, we won't be getting anywhere with sustainability. It will be simply comply with. Mm, that's a great point. Yes, and I think that before we get onto the five M's, um, just one other thought, because I guess the the purpose and intention also help to prioritize which uh, KPIs to focus on, right? So there are lots of KPIs that a company can focus on and is often solicited to provide by whether it's investors or other stakeholders. Um, But I think I remember reading somewhere in the content on your website about the focus on 20% of the indicators that are responsible for 80% of the impact. And would you say that that plays into that whole process as well? Absolutely, Kate. In fact, that's part of the first M, which Mm -hmm. is a materiality analysis. So, um, animal welfare, for instance, on a mango farm is relevant, but not that relevant. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas right. on a on a mixed farm with uh, cows, it is very relevant. So you define the materiality um, by focusing on those KPIs that define eighty percent of the impact. Right. And then that twenty eighty rule keeps coming back. By the way. Um, but the second M is on the basis of that materiality analysis, you start measuring. So, yeah. and then you do that on the basis of the KPIs that underlie our nature more sustainability flower. But obviously, they have been harmonized with the KPIs that are set by GRI or by um, BSCI or SMETA or Global Gap or Global Grasp or any other abbreviation. Mm-hmm. for compliance checks that our retailers demand from us. You know, you need that that kind of license to operate, otherwise you can't supply them. Right. But what you want want to avoid is that the grower has to pay 10,000 euro per abbreviation. And obviously the retailer will never pay for that. So mm-hmm. the grower, you shift all the uh, assessment burden to the grower. That's the usual approach and uh, the nice benefit collateral benefit of our nature more sustainability flowers that we can uh, limit those assessment to a one-stop shop to Mm. a one-stop assessment that yields various compliance schemes so you have a scope there again on the one side you want to comply on the other side you you can be turned completely nuts by all these compliance schemes and entrepreneurs often struggle with that and say, listen, uh, if I talk to A, I hear abbreviation X. If I talk to B, I hear abbreviation Y. And by the time I've I've done the alphabet, I've lost uh, the overview. I have no idea what sustainability, where I should start. Right. So then it helps to have your own navigation tool like we have with the Nature More Sustainability Flower. But then you want to match the KPIs with the existing KPIs. So I can strongly encourage other entrepreneurs or anybody who would, would like to embark on that sustainability journey and who doesn't to develop your own navigation. Right. To, yeah, so to tie it back to what is important from your perspective as you right. put these things into practice and implement yeah. them. Yeah. And it makes it easier to enter in a dialogue with the other sustainability compliance schemes that are around in your sector mm-hmm. and that, you know, that differ from sector to sector. Um, anyway, that's uh, then you, you start measuring. That's the second M. And yeah. then you agree on a management plan. That's the third M. So with your stakeholders, you... You select, basically, projects, and that can be soil fertility or a living wage program, or Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, building a school or a medical service center or uh, invest in intercropping to contribute to biodiversity uh, or green cover crops Mm -hmm. to uh, sequester carbon from the atmosphere in soil organic carbon or in, in, in green mass. Um, it can be anything. Um, right. And if you realize that this sort of, you can do this at infinitum, um, but so it makes sense to to select a few things and focus on these. Right. So those are the programs that you'll be focusing on to implement the objectives that you've set and right. that are within these framework of what's material Um, and and we're talking so you mentioned just to go back over them so determining materiality measuring the impacts and managing the practices those are the three we've covered so far and for materiality obviously today it's 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 both the material impact on your company and the the risks and opportunities that these sustainability issues might have on your company, but equally and very importantly, um, it's the impacts that the company is going to have on the planet through the it's business. inward and outward. Inward and outward. Right. right, exactly. And I guess the managing the practices part will reflect that. It will be a natural um, outcome will, of these yes. reality checks. Yeah, yes, exactly. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Fantastic. And it, it, it's not just rational. It's also if you run into a grower who's very excited about all his cover crops, then you go with the flow. You encourage him and say, well, if that's where your energy is, then let's do that. Mm, okay. So leaving space for, for things to emerge. Yeah. That may not have come about if you had focused in a very rigid way. Exactly. Or you run into a retailer who says, I would love, I had the Prime Minister of Ghana for a visit. I would love to do something in Ghana. Do you have any idea? It must be social. Hmm. Then you don't say, no, no, hang on a moment. Let's first do the first M. <laughs> no, no, you don't do that. You go with the flow. You say, yeah, sure. Let's have a look at the sustainability flower of all the growers in Ghana. Oh, this is interesting because what you're describing here is then you've got this framework, but it's kind of organic and flexible so that Always. if something comes up, then you're willing to explore it and see how does this fit in and what can this offer us while not wanting to get sidetracked and taken off on a complete tangent, which might be a possibility and you might have to put a few guardrails in there. But that's interesting to kind of not not keep it too um, structured and rigid. Absolutely. And I think it's all about, you know, momentum as well. Mm -hmm. So you you want to use the momentum. If there's momentum on the farm or momentum with your retailer, then use it. Mm, great point. That's another M, but it's not one of the official M's, right? That's a good one, Kate. I must add that. <laughs> We've come up with that. another M. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good one. I like that one. And the next one is then marketing, market the Right, products. right, right. And uh, it's actually related to the M to the momentum because uh, often growers then say uh, um, well how can i be green if my figures are red hmm. you know you want me to invest in soil yet you only pay me for yield per hectare mm -hmm. you want me to do good for future generations yet you want me to increase yield per hectare because that's that's what i what, what you pay for so you need to be creative. We need to start rewarding growers for their ecosystem services. Yeah, and that's a in, big one. Yeah, it's a big one because um, we still operate in an unlevel playing field in the market mm -hmm. where the polluter gets away with a competitive advantage. Yeah. So if you um, exploit soil by putting a lot of mineral fertilizer in it, you boost your yield short term at the expense mm -hmm. of future soil fertility, but who cares? Um, as a result, you can be more competitive than your, than your uh, competitor who is actually investing in soil biodiversity. So right, in, in an artificial way, right? I mean, that's absolutely. competitiveness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's cheaper. He can be more competitive because he or she is externalizing costs mm -hmm. to society. Costs of uh, damage to soil fertility, water holding capacity, biodiversity or climate. So, um, yeah, how do you tackle that in an unlevel playing field? Obviously, we ultimately all want a more level playing field where the public sector sort of guides us with fiscal incentives that penalize those who extract value and that support those who add value in in sustainability sense. Yeah. And we're working on that as well. I'll, we'll I'm sure we'll come back to the, on that. Um, but back to the marketing. And so what we um, we we will look both ways. On the one side, we we look backward and want to develop carbon credits and insetting credits, like we discussed at the business at the launch of the Business Alliance for Regenerative Agriculture that yeah. uh, you joined and uh, you so brilliantly summarized. Thank you very much for that again. My pleasure. Uh, yes, uh, I can recommend everybody to read what you <laughs> wrote. That's very kind um, of you. So <clears throat> you need laboratories of change, you need uh, prototypes, you need coalitions of the willing to develop these tools that start rewarding growers, not just for their yield per hectare, but also for their other ecosystem services or for the social or community services or health services. 
Uh, we've talked enough about people on planet. Now we need to sort of descend this into the um, financial reality of rewarding growers for their positive externalities. Mm-hmm. So that's one one thing we are trying to do by means of um, developing compost credits, which we sell to our retailers, uh, or developing um, insetting credits together with AgriCarbon in South Africa, which I'm sure you've heard of. <coughs> um, and these credits are not just about uh, carbon farming. They are also uh, about collateral or, or uh, sort of collateral benefits related to water holding capacity or to contribute to biodiversity or to community services. After all, if a grower invests into soil fertility, usually his irrigation bill go, comes down. Mm, okay. Because better water retention. And usually his pest and disease pressure comes down as well because biodiversity is vitality. And if yeah. you invest in soil fertility with millions, trillions of microbes, uh, then uh, you create this microbiome, so to speak, in the soil that provides health. Mm-hmm. So it has, and and it and it sequesters carbon from the atmosphere in deep soil organic carbon. So it has a multiple of positive externalities. And soil seems to be a portal, sort of gateway towards all these other externalities. So that's why uh, a while ago, um, teamed up with um, World Bank in a project called uh, Working for Water. Because in the river deltas in South Africa, for instance, uh, the water stops flowing um, because all the nitrogen fertilizer that was used in the farms that were located in these deltas, usually they are, um, leaked into the groundwater and provided a very fertile atmosphere in these rivers. So all of a sudden, um, the water was sucked up by a green mass, willows and reeds and God knows what. Oh, I see. So it was actually taking the water out. It was taking the water out. So whilst the the, uh, farms were um, depleting their soils and the soil structure was no longer able to capture that nitrogen fertilizer, it leaked into the groundwater and provided a very fertile atmosphere or sphere in, in, in the rivers. So after a while, uh, the r- rivers were no longer there. Oh, wow. Mm. So then World Bank moved in, um, providing jobs for those who were cutting cutting down all this green mass. So they provided work and water. And then uh, we noticed that this all this green mass was uh, landfilled and uh, creating enormous amounts of methane gas emissions as a result of anaerobic composting processes, decomposition uh, processes on these landfills. So we said, okay, how about, together with the growers in this river delta, uh, we said, uh, how about if we use that green material and turn that into compost as an alternative for mineral fertilizer? Okay, so wow, so the it's almost like well, it's a circular economy type of thing in a way that the yeah. um, the outcome of this supposedly well, it was a bit of a negative impact there could be uh, transformed and used as something that would stop that from happening in the first place. Exactly. So mm. people uh, growers started sort of bringing down their mineral fertilizer using this compost, uh, replacing it by compost building a soil structure again and water leak nitrogen leakage in the in the river uh, stopped what a great story yeah uh, and uh, yeah, yeah but it 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 it, 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 um, it goes on kate because then we went to uh ipcc and mm-hmm. said uh, listen this is uh Eostar from vanning's fane calling you know who we are <laughs> and we would like carbon credits on composting oh. practices and then they said, with all respect, well, we only deal with governments. Hmm. And 
Anyway, to cut a long story short, we went through TÜV NART certification processes, um, developing metrics and, and all that, and finally achieved to get carbon credits. So all of a sudden, on composting practices, for methane gas avoidance, nitrogen, uh, nit uh, uh, nitrous oxide avoidance, that comes with mineral fertilizer. And um, so we were able to not only help our growers build their soils again, increase the water retention, decrease pest and disease pressure, and contribute to mitigating climate change. Mm -hmm. But we were also able to provide them with secondary income streams by selling their carbon credits to our retailers. Wow, that that's quite an amazing story because it isn't it? it. Yeah, it just shows you were thinking on your feet and having to be quite agile there in terms of yeah. how do we deal with the situation and and have a positive outcome from it. Yeah. So then we and that's a bridge to the other side of the marketing M. Yeah. So. On the grower side, that's what you can do. Um, uh, continuously look for uh, means to improve the or find financial incentives for growers um, to contribute to more regenerative practices. And carbon credits or insetting credits are a tool to achieve that. Got it. Mm -hmm. But then we said, okay, let's uh, celebrate soil. Hmm. So we organized a huge event. Um, not just with, uh, we called it um, Save Our Soils, oh, SOS, nice. yes. because the soil is the limit, not the sky, and uh, maybe organic is a, not the only, but for the time being, a very good soil solution. Mm -hmm. Soil solution, mm -hmm. yeah. And then uh, we said, uh, you, dear customer, you, you can become a soilder <gasps> or a soil mate. <laughs> And, this is uh, extraordinary. Okay, I love the invention yeah. of terms here. <laughs> so we then packed our that I think it was vine tomatoes, avocados, mangoes, in a little retail pack, but we provided a bit of compost oh, with it. Lovely. And with the tomatoes, we added uh, basil, uh, basil basil seeds. Mm -hmm. Gosh, this is nice. So, so I'm really getting the picture of the, how these marketing practices are aimed at also bringing the consumer back into that loop exactly. as well, yeah. right? So we okay. said, uh, the, the, listen, my friend, dear consumer, these are not vine tomatoes. These are soil mates. And you, become, <laughs> you can become a soil mate, in fact. Uh, by, by the way, for instance, if you dig up um, a little pavement stone and you put in the compost and the basil seeds and you start a little guerrilla farm that was sort of uh, where the momentum was everybody was talking about guerrilla farming mm. this was 2016 i think seven seven years ago and or six years ago and um, rooftop gardening became hot oh, yes. and yeah. uh, so we said if you can start a little guerrilla farm uh, with the and uh, become a soil you you can become a soil mate and if you do that Ideally, uh, at an illegal spot, whilst the police is trying to stop you and you YouTube this, you can win a prize. <laughs> it sounds like a kind of Patagonia type exercise, this one. It was total guerrilla marketing. And wow. uh, it didn't cost anything, but everybody joined. And uh, not just everybody, but the Dalai Lama did it, Desmond Tutu, uh, Julia no Roberts t uh, joined in. Uh, Jose Graziano da Silva, at the time the General Secretary of the FAO, joined wow. us. The Prince of Wales, at the time still Prince, yes. uh, joined us. So we had all of a sudden a whole group of celebrities um, <laughs> who joined us in, in this Save Our Soils campaign. Wow. And nobody, everybody was talking about climate change, but nobody talked about soil. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it back into the picture. And we've, it, it really illustrates that momentum again, doesn't it? Like, yeah, that, that is such a key to bringing about the sustainability transition, because it's like those grassroots and getting people involved and yeah. feeling good about contributing in this way. It's a really good illustration of that. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, like, before um, we talk about other things, maybe we can just finish off on the 
the last M there, the monetizing impacts, because this is um, something which I think is on the radar of quite a lot of companies today, a few perhaps I should say, um, in terms of true cost accounting and actually putting a monetary value to the positive and negative impacts that a company has as part of its um, uh, integrated financial accounts. And so right. I just would love to hear a bit more about that because this is something which I think today is still perhaps a little bit out of reach for a lot of companies, but it would be nice to know more about how does it how does it work and how many companies today could try this? Yeah, um, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, we briefly say organic is not too expensive, conventional is too cheap. Mm. If you externalize costs um, of damage, of negative impact. So then we ran into a study by the FAO mm -hmm. that basically said the externalized costs of our global food production system equals the total turnover in food trade globally. Wow. So, so I think that was uh, 7 billion, a lot of zeros. Yeah. You, you would actually, you create uh, environmental and social damage for a si similar amount of money. Mm -hmm. And curing is more expensive than preventing. So if mm -hmm. you would prevent all that damage by not externalizing soil loss to future generations, but you would do it right from the beginning, um, then it would only be 15 to 20% more expensive. I think. So, so if you want to be pennywise pound foolish, keep, do, keep going. Mm -hmm. If you want to reverse that, it's easier to prevent and it's a lot cheaper to prevent this. So we then we then looked at these templates, these monetization templates. How did they establish costs? We realized that the planet is losing the equivalent of thirty soccer fields of fertile soil per minute. Shocking. According to the same FAO, mm -hmm. which accumulates to twelve million hectares a year. Okay. And since we only got one planet, you don't need to be clairvoyant that this is finite. So at some point we'll have to farm in deserts, and that that you know is quite challenging. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we should look after our healthy soils. Yeah, but that costs money. Okay, can we establish how much money that would cost? The damage would cost to repair that. You can't value or put a monetary value on nature or on soil, but what you can put a monetary value on is the cost you would have to make. To repair that. Got it. Yep. So that's what we then did. And to cut a long story short, we ran into FAO when it comes to soil fertility, water, biodiversity. Uh, we moved to the water footprinting network, uh, who define green, gray, and uh, blue water categories, and they have monetization tools for that. We went to the WHO. Uh, with regards to health, they have this, these DALI calculations, the Disability Adjusted Life Year calculations, also with monetization templates under, underneath. Um, and then we joined TEEP, the Economics of Ecosystems and Biodiversity, which is a think tank of uh, scientists and UN uh, officials, mostly, um, who did important grant work chaired by Pavan Sukdev, I'm sure you know him, and Alex Muller and Klaus Töpfer at the time he was the Minister of uh, Environmental Affairs in Germany. And Alex Muller was uh, UNDP or UNEP uh, uh, General Secretary. So um, a group of um, experts. And then we handed the case to EY one of these financial auditors and said, can you identify the true cost uh, of our supply chain, uh, avocado, mango, pineapple, I think it was, and then come up with a um, 
sort of uh, calculation, and mm -hmm. they did. Right. And uh, in the beginning, this is obviously complicated stuff, yeah. but after a while, it becomes a routine. Mm -hmm. And now these templates are available if you knock on the doors of KPMG, PwC, or any of these big four, five uh, financial auditors. They uh, uh, can instantly develop that for you and identify what the true cost of your supply chain is. So uh, we started doing this a while ago, and now we do it for all our products on an annual basis. And... Uh, so our whole governance scheme is uh, also geared towards human, social, and environmental capital. You know, in the background, you see planet, purpose, uh, uh, purpose, people, planet again. Human, mm -hmm. social, mm -hmm. natural capital. So also in the governance model of this company, we are moving uh, into a complete new uh, direction by not only looking at financial capital, but also at these human, social and envir environmental capitals, uh, which ob obviously assumes that you can, uh, that you have transparency and you can do that for all your products throughout the supply chain. Right. And clearly that is quite a challenge. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that it is possible and there are resources out there for companies that want to start looking into this in more Absolutely. detail. And that... Yeah. Um, there's no harm in experimenting, right? And, and beginning to explore how to monetize these impacts or put a monetary value on them so that you can have a more coherent picture that integrates those externalities that are currently shoved out of the picture. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, again, where there is a will, there is a detour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Right. Usually complexity is used as a, as a reason not to do something. But if you just start, you know, then it's perfectly doable. And uh, you can, for instance, start with your LCA, your ca carbon footprint. Right. Good point. I just monetize that one. Just yes. one. Yes. Yes, that's a great place to start. Um, now, I realize that we could probably talk all day <laughs> about all of these things. Can I add um, one more thing? Uh, yes, please. Absolutely. Because, uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for, you know, asking about these five M's, which are, you know, behind every M, there's a whole universe of opportunities and possibilities. Um, and uh, on the one side, this sounds very nice and uh, encouraging, but it can also, um, but I must say, um, if you're realistic as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you better prepare for this uh, because it will be soon be a legal uh, requirement because of the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. And usually uh, things start with directives and then turn into frameworks and then it becomes legislation. Yeah. So you can either hide as a company and say, oh, God, you know, challenging times, uh, not now. Mm -hmm. But the other way is uh, to be proactive and say, listen, um, I will start on the basis of these five M's, for instance, and um, just select one product mm -hmm. and one KPI, if that's what I can afford. But it can teach you... Um, a lot about the rest, mm -hmm. so you're prepared once the C uh, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive hits you. And if you're a small, medium enterprise, that's only in two years from now. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a, a bigger size uh, corporate, then it will hit you by January 1st next year, I believe. But, but you probably it's know more about It's coming up really this. fast. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. And um, finally... The financial sector is looking at, is is already performing climate stress tests on your business case. So you may look very profitable if your carbon footprint is too big. It will be sort of uh, implemented in your rocks in your risk adjusted return on capital. So there are many uh, um, legal and financial reasons to engage in this, mm -hmm. and rather than being pressed by outside factors it always makes good business sense to anticipate on this and be proactive 
And uh, anyone who's listening to this, uh, quickly call uh, Fake Bites to help you uh, move <laughs> Thanks forward. for the plug. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that, but you did that for me. That's why I'm doing it. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you very much. No, well, I mean, I think this is a good point. I was going to have asked you, but you got there first in terms of, you know, what would you, what advice would you give to companies who are either starting out I mean I think these days most companies are not just starting out because it's been clear for a while that this is something as you said nobody can avoid um, but how to make a positive difference so I think you've given a few good pointers there and maybe before we finish um, it would be nice to come back and do that full circle you know we started it out with your your personal journey and the beginning of Aosta's um, journey through all of this what is today your vision for the future and what is the dream that dream that you talked about at the beginning perhaps you could just share in a nutshell of some of the ingredients that you are hoping for and that helps you to also um uh deal with some of those moments of adversity um which <laughs> we're all experiencing right now many companies are experiencing uh perhaps a few words on that before we end yeah Never mind my camera, it's going nuts. It does that sometimes. <laughs> I like that. I don't, I don't Different know why. perspective on things. Yeah, well, you know the office. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Stiller. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. Um, I think we're all concerned about inflation and recession and energy crisis and um, etc it's not over yet and um, and uh, the rishi is coming and the list is going and uh, i mean but behind all of this you see a climate crisis and a social crisis unfolding in slow motion mm. and um, my hope is that people and entrepreneurs will have the courage and the vision to also anticipate on this much bigger crisis and actually use the present crisis of inflation, etc., as a um, an opportunity uh, to fundamentally rethink business because. It, it's so perfectly okay to manage your carbon footprint and do a few social projects here and there, and that that that's okay. But ultimately, my I hope, and that's what I'm working for, that is that we see these crises as opportunities and also as mirrors uh, in which we see the limitations of our own thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think sustainability starts between the ears and uh, is a has all to do with a mind shift. Right. Um, if we want to um, encourage systems change, it, it starts with mind shift, mind shifting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are not going to solve the problems with the kind of thinking that created created them, as Einstein said. And uh, so we need uh, new thinking. And I realize this is not for the followers, this is for the leaders. And the leadership always comes from a trendsetting minority mm. and never okay. from a following majority. So it depends on your business proposition, whether you want to belong to the followers or to the leaders. If you agree, I want to be part of the solution and join a coalition of the willing, even if that's a a minority, I think there are great opportunities because sooner or later, these bigger crises that are unfolding in slow motion will present much bigger disruptions than the ones we're facing now. And then we need prototypes that can be scaled up. Right. So tomorrow's economy and tomorrow's entrepreneurship is about the courage and the vision and the ability to dream, dance and deliver. Mm. And um, I think, in all modesty, with this small uh, green grocer in Wallingfame West, we are privileged to be part of a coalition of the willing that you also belong to, Kate, and your organization. And uh, we need all the brain power and, and creative powers and willpowers to uh, contribute to the new normal in which the polluter no longer gets away with a competitive advantage. Right. Well said. 
Well said, Volkart. And I think um, what you've expressed really is in a lot of people's minds at the moment. And um, ultimately, it, it is a question of choice and intention to be part of this. So I can't thank you enough. What a wonderful conversation and a great way to start this podcast series. I've learned so thank much. Thank you, Kate. Thank <laughs> and you very much. It's just much. the beginning. So I feel honoured. Mm, it's been great. Thank you very much. And, you know, we'll continue the journey, all of us. I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. Speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Volker. All right. Bye, Kate. Thank you. Bye.